I, I don't understand how Bye, Miriam. You get to go upstairs. <laughs> I'm sure there's all kinds of sugar up there. My office is up there, so there'll be plenty of it. All right, if you would with me at this time, please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We'll be beginning verse 1 and we'll be going through uh, verse 17 today. So I'll begin with reading. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is in your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Father, help us today. Help us, Father, as we come to your word, Lord, help us discern this. Teach us, O oh Lord, what it is to be Christian, Lord. Show us how to live this out. Teach us your ways. Help me, Father, to be your instrument. Help me to put down my insecurities, Lord. Work through me today. Teach us by your spirit. Amen. In case you're wondering, I don't have a physical Bible in front of me. I have a, a cell phone in front of me, a smartphone, which has a couple hundred Bibles on there. So there's, there's a few here to, to, to deal with. So, um, so the letter to the Colossians, I, we're going to have to go through very fast uh, through this. So if I talk rapidly, I apologize. It's because almost every line of this text you could make into your own sermon. It's, it's very dissectable. There's a lot of side trails here, and I'm prone to getting onto them. 
So what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to do a flyover here and, and hit the main points that we can go through uh, with reference to time, of course. So um, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so this, this text gave me much grief because it says, if then you have been raised, where I'm sure if you're reading in the NIV Bibles, it'll say since then. Now the word in the Greek, I can't pronounce it because I can't speak Greek. It is Greek to me. Um, but when you, when you take a word study on it and you take it through the scriptures, it, it would be better translated to say since then. So what Paul is trying to get that is he's trying to say that since then you have been raised. And what he's doing is he's going back to chapter 2. In chapter 2, he brought this whole idea of baptism and what it meant for the believer as symbolism. Your idea of going into the water was death with Christ and coming out of the water was coming into new life. And so what he's trying to communicate here is if then or since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So what he's saying is you are Christian, right? You have died. There's a separation that's occurred here already. Right out of the gate, he's saying you are separate from the world. You are a specific group of people. And he's saying that because of this, because you are different, because you have been raised with Christ, joined to him, you need to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Now, this is a lot here to, to go into, but the idea is that where it says seek the things that are above is he's saying fix your gaze on Christ. Literally to, to look at nothing else. It would be as if his beauty and glory was enough that you could never look away. There would be no other idea or image that could come into your mind is what, is what the text is trying to say to us, that it's a fixed, solid position in your life. And then he goes on to say where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now this was important for the letters to the Colossians. Paul wrote this letter when he was in prison. They're not exactly sure which prison term he was serving. He's, he's been in jail a lot, as we know from Acts, so they're, they're not really sure which one exactly he's, he's in, but he's in prison when he writes this letter. Paul did not found the church at Colossae. He, he actually, it was founded by a guy by the name of Ephatus. Ephatus, that's what I want to say. I want to pronounce it correctly. Um, so Paul has a fellow worker while he's in Ephesus, so Paul's ministering at Ephesus. He has a convert that has a lot of Spunk, a lot of charisma, can teach the word well. And this guy goes out and finds this church and begins this. And so Paul, while he's in prison, gets word of this church and what's going on with this church. And they have a severe problem. They're dealing with all kinds of foreign worship and teachings that are going on. The idea of angelology or the worship of angels was prominent in this church. The idea that Christ could be a way, not the way. So what they had was is they had angel worship, Gnosticism, and then they have Christianity. So it's like a separate little camp that they kind of had in the church. And so Paul is coming at this. The whole letter is about the supremacy of Christ. Christ is number one. Christ is number one. Christ is number one. Christ is God. This whole idea is throughout the letter to the Colossians. And this letter was also supposed to be read in the church to Laodicea. Now, I don't know if how familiar you are with the book of Revelation, but Christ would address the church at Laodicea as the church that he was literally going to vomit out because they were adhering to the same teachings as the church in Colossae. And so here we have this reprimand that goes out from Paul, and he's saying you need to be, you know, focused on Christ as your number one in all things. 
not just in some of your teachings where it's convenient, or not just in your salvation, but that he's Lord. And so that's what this statement is truly about here, is he's saying he's seated at the right hand of God. That's a ruling statement. He's telling you that he is in control, he is Lord of all things, and everything belongs to him. Everything will submit and obey Christ. That's it. There is nothing else. There is no other else, and there is no other God. That's what's coming here, right? And so then we go on, verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is a service statement, right? The idea of being hidden with Christ. So if I was to look at you, and I was to look at your life, I would say, I see Jesus. I don't, I don't see Mandy. I don't see Mary. I see Jesus, right? I don't see Matt. I see Jesus, that's, that's hidden with Christ, is that you're, you're so enamored with him, you're so engulfed with him, that that's what comes out. When people interact with you, they see Jesus. That's what they see. They don't see you. They don't see your personal opinions and all of your you know, drama and junk that we bring to the situation. They see Christ. That's what he's getting at here, that Christ is your life. And when he appears in glory, you will appear with him. The blessed hope the resurrection. When he comes back, you are coming with him. And so Paul says, this is you. Does this belong to you? Is this, is this who you are? Then therefore, right, every time there's a therefore, we have to go back and, and review, right? Therefore, so if all of this is, is your situation, if you are what we would call a Christian, right, if this is your new spiritual reality, therefore something's got to change. Your life has got to look different. What does that look like, right? He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so he gives this list, and it's all of the heart. It's all of the heart, right? Sexual immorality. When we go back to Acts, the Jerusalem Council, they had it where they, they said there are these things that a Christian should do. If we all remember the Jerusalem Council, and Paul, it was this battle over circumcision, and so Paul goes to Jerusalem, and he brings Barabbas with him, and they're arguing with Peter and James, and they're talking about all the Gentiles coming to faith, and they, they come to this agreement. They say, if you are going to be Christian, you don't have to be circumcised, which was a big victory for the church. But they say, you should abstain from these four things. They said, you should not be involved in things strangled, which we can handle, right? Things strangled, we got that. You should not be involved in food offered to idols. Most of us can handle that, you know, for the most part, I think. And then they say you should abstain from sexual immorality, right? That's, the, that's one of the points, it's sexual immorality. Okay, so we're, we're not supposed to do things sexually that are outside of marriage, is, is kind of the concept that they're getting at. And then they say you should abstain from blood, right? Drinking blood. So when you allow yourself to commit sexual immorality with your body. Think of this. You're picking up the glass, the blood. Christianity 101. You're, you're literally, it's the same category. This is basic Christianity. And so therefore, it, it comes up all the time. This was such a problem with the pagan religions was that they couldn't control themselves. And so this is one of the number one issues that Paul hammers constantly. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire. This is, this is one I'd like to touch on, is evil desire. A lot of times we want to say, well, if I just don't do it, it's fine. I can, I can have that passion. I can think about doing that. I can, I can 
stare at that woman, or I can, I can read that book, I can watch that television show, but I'm not doing anything. I'm not actually doing anything. That's not what it says here. It says if you have an evil desire in you, if it's contrary to the will of God in your heart, it's sin. So if you desire something, if you want something, you want that woman at the convenience store, that show has sexually explicit material on it, you are allowing that desire to rise up in your heart. The Bible says it's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to be put down. We cannot have this in the heart of the Christian. Then covetousness, which is idolatry. That's a fun word. Covetousness, which means greed. The idea of not being able to have enough stuff, right? We, get, we start buying shoes that fill up, you know, the van, and then we have all the, the jackets and clothes and all that kind of articles of stuff, and everybody laughs because they, they know that people like that, that have all this, what are you doing with all this, you know? But that's, that's what happens, is that we allow ourselves to get into something, and it doesn't have to necessarily be just clothes. It can, be a, it can be a greed for this thing or that thing or knowledge or something good that you've just allowed to become an idol in your, in your life, and it takes the place of Christ. Anything that does that is an idol and becomes self-idolatry, self-elevation. And so then Paul goes on in verse 6, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Judgment is on the way. He's not messing around. He's not playing with them here. He's saying this has to go because it's bringing God's hammer on us, right? Verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living with them. I praise God for that verse. That's, I mean, we really look at that. In these you too once walked when you were living with them. When we come to Christ, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. There is a restored person. You are new. The past is gone. It's not there. He has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. You are a new creation. This is celebration. This is, this is some of the greatest news that could ever be given. And I know for myself, I did not live this. This was not a reality in my heart for so long. I walked as a Christian. I talked like a Christian, but I did not behave like a Christian. You know, the duck was not waddling like a duck at all. And so when I went to Sunday service in the morning, a lot of times it was to say, Lord, I am truly sorry that I did that over the weekend, but yet I wasn't really sorry. I didn't feel bad. I was, I was playing around with fire, and I knew it, but I did not care because I was not converted. I had not come to Christ. I knew of Christ, but I had not come. And so here, Paul is saying that when you come to Christ, it is a new life for you. It is a brand new start, and you are onward to maturity in Christianity. You are no longer dead in sins and trespasses. The Holy Spirit has revived you and brought you back from the dead. And that is something to be celebrated every single day. It's the gospel message, and every day we need to repeat it to ourselves. Because we fail. So often we fail. We get angry with people that do minor infractions to us, and we want to hold it against them. And God's saying, no. He's saying, I forgave you. I gave you new life. I gave you a fresh start, a new beginning. He's saying, don't do this. In these two you once walked. Everybody needs the gospel. And he goes on. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. It's, it's all plays on each other. Anger leads to wrath. Wrath leads to malice. Malice is a form of slander, obscene talk. We, we, this is all a heart condition. This is all coming out of the heart, one thing after another. And it just builds. It just builds on itself. You want to find somebody that's going to have a life of misery. 
Find somebody that is full of malice. Find someone. Well, maybe you don't want to find them, but it, the, the horror of that inside of the heart. Even obscene talk, how we speak to each other. It's not just vulgar language. That's not, that's not what the text is getting at. It's not just saying, well, he said, you know, the F-bomb. You know, that's not, that's not what the text is. It's saying, basically, it's saying abusive language. When your language is designed to hurt someone, you're saying something and you know it's going to cut them. That's obscene talk. That's abusive language. When you're using your words to hurt instead of help. That's what he's going with here. That's the idea. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Lying destroys the community. This is, this is all community-driven. Lying will tear you apart. You'll have to dance around it. You'll have to pretend it didn't happen. You'll have to hope your spouse doesn't find out whether you bought something you shouldn't have or whether you said something you shouldn't have and you're trying to hide it, you're trying to cover it up, all that kind of stuff. Cannot lie. And it says, why? And have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Why? Because you know Jesus. That's what it's saying. It's saying because you're being daily renewed in Christ. That's why this is going. That's why this leaves. Because you are being formed and molded and made into the image of Almighty God. Here there is no, not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. There's no differentials. We're all children of God here. If you are a Christian, you are molded into the body, you are brought in. It doesn't matter if you've, if you've come from this country in Africa, if you've come from Scandinavia, if you're an American, you're a Christian. You're a brother or sister in Christ. Skin color does not have an issue here. It's, it's, it plagued America for a long time, but this is not, Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. God's chosen ones. The elect. Think about that. Chosen. You're chosen. I heard that all week this week. Funny how that turned out. I heard that all week this week. Matt, you were chosen for this. You were chosen for this. Get up there and let it fly. That's all I heard all week long. You are chosen for this. Why? Because today you were chosen for this. You were chosen to sit here. You were chosen to hear me rant and rave on this. You were chosen to be a Christian. You were chosen to be saved. I don't know how else I could say this to you. You were chosen and loved by God before you stepped foot on this planet. It's a reality here. It is. I, I dance on this. It, it brings so much joy to my heart. It's hard to hold that in as the idea is you were chosen yourself for a time such as these to go forward and walk in the good things that God's prepared for you. Chosen, holy, and beloved. That's a name for you. That's hard to swallow. It's hard to take. Sometimes it's almost, it's, it's like God isn't fair. It's almost like he's not fair. I was so lost. I was so lost that he loves me to that great of length. It's almost like I have to tell him to stop. I have to tell him it's not right. That's what I have to say. I have to say it's not right. And he says it's grace. He says it's grace. He says my son died for you. I love you. There's been a way made. Is that true for you today? Is that in your hearts today? He goes on, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You know, meekness is a fun word. I want to talk about meekness for a second, because I never liked that word. 
I never liked the word meek. I always thought it was weak. That's what I used to say. I never, I never liked the idea of what it meant to be meek. But God, God has, in his, in his providence, demonstrated to me exactly how this works out when you need to be meek, right, what it, what it looks like. And, and the idea, if I can give us a summary, it's, it's having authority or having power and not using it. Using compassion. The prime example of this, if I could, if I could go, is Jesus is, is about to be tried and taken. And as he's about to be dragged away, he says, I could call on legions of angels right now, and they would come to my rescue. But because of his great love, he was meek. So meek is not weak at all. In fact, it's actually quite amazing if you can, if you can focus on this. I would actually be my prayer that we would all you know, get a glimmer of meekness from our Lord. It would be fantastic. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 14, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. It's pretty straightforward. It's a pretty honest answer here. We must forgive. We must. We can't hold this in. Forgiveness, if it's not given, if you don't give it to God, if you hold it in, it will lead to all of the things that we said, wrath, malice, and anger. These will all bubble up out of that because the heart is rotting out. When you give it to God, it cleanses you. I don't know if I could say enough about forgiveness. But we were forgiven much. Therefore, we should freely forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, and in one body be thankful. Put on love. Put on Christ. Right? When we put on Christ, I always, I always struggle with that. What does that mean? Put on Christ. I'm like, put on Christ. Paul's going to explain it to us a little bit on how to do this. But the idea is that you, you put on a perspective. It's, your, it's the way that you view the world. When you come out of your house in the morning, how do you see people? You see people as obstacles, annoyances. You see your kids that are running around destroying your house as <laughs> guilty. It could be an annoyance, right? It's hard. It's tough. But can we see them how Christ sees them? We see our neighbors as Christ sees them. We see our friends, family as Christ sees them. We put on Christ. And be thankful. Thankful heart. You know, I, I woke up this morning. That was pretty good. That was a pretty good day. I, I got shoes on. That was a pretty good day. You know? We're not, we're not, I, I often feel like we're not thankful people. We, we struggle with this sometimes. And you want, a, you want a way to bother somebody? You really get your unbelieving friends. You want a way to bother them? Be thankful. Be thankful. You're, you're talking to an unbeliever and you say, I am so thankful that God gave me snow. It's beautiful. They're going to go, what is wrong with this person? Nuts. I am so thankful to God that my car broke down and I was able to get some fresh air on my walk home. They're going to say, this guy is nuts. What is wrong with him? You know? We look at our circumstances and we, we turn it in such a way that we're not thankful. And anybody who wants to commiserate, they, they love company. They, they, they love anybody with a negative attitude, they love company. But you bring a positive attitude to it and you're thankful to God for the things that you have, the small things. I went, I went to the sink today and I got tap water. 
I didn't have to, I didn't have to hike miles, grab a bucket, you know, walk miles back, boil it to drink it. I went to the sink and there was water. Praise God. And let the peace of Christ which rules in your hearts and which indeed you were called in one body. This means Christ is the umpire in our lives. That's what it's trying to say, that he, he dwells within us in such a way that his word is the umpire with our discussions, with our battles, because it's not always easy. It's not always easy. We're, we're sinners. It's just life. We're going to have conflict. Christ is our umpire. The word is the authority. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That word dwell. That word dwell. In the Greek, like I said, I can't speak Greek, so I'm not going to try. Um, but what it, what it gets at is the idea is that the word of God is in you to such a degree that if somebody was to bump you, the word of God comes out. Does that make sense? So if, I, I heard this on Facebook, and I think it's great, that if somebody was to bump you and are holding a cup of coffee, the coffee spills, Right? Because you have, you're holding coffee, coffee is what you got. But if you're holding tea, tea would spill. Well, in this case, you're full, of the, you're full of the Word of God. And the Word of Christ dwells within you to such a degree that if somebody bumps you or comes in contact with you, they get the Word of God. That's what comes out of you. The Word of God not only does it dwell with you to that degree, but it also guides your life like a bridle on a horse. Right? You turn it. It directs your life. The Word of God teaches you and directs you in all things. Verse 17, I am making excellent time. Pastor, be so proud. <laughs> Modern day miracles, everybody. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is, this is kind of the picture that I want to close with because I think it's, it's appropriate to close with this. So, for instance... And I use this with the youth, and I think it's effective. Um, if you woke up, I'm going to change this a little bit for the adults because Mike heard this, so I have to give him something new. Um, if you woke up in the morning, tomorrow morning, you, get, you roll out of bed, get your coffee, and also you're a knock at the door. You open the door, and Jesus is standing there. Well, first, you hit the ground, right? Because it's Jesus and his glory. If he doesn't decimate you, you hit the ground, and, and you're in worship. Jesus is there. And he says, I have a message for you. He says, I'm coming. I'm coming quick. Now go tell people about me. And then he, he walks off. Well, you got a mission. It's, it's hot foot time. you got to get going. Jesus just said, hey, he's coming, and I want you to go to town and tell everyone you see about me. And so what happens? How does this change your life all of a sudden? How does your world change? Jesus himself just appeared to you in glory, and he says, I have a message for you. Go out there and proclaim my name to everyone. Go tell everyone that I'm coming. I told this to the youth. I said, how would your life change? And they all stood up and they all went crazy. My life would be so different. My life would be so different. You have no idea how this would change. Jesus is with me. He's going to be around. I'm going to tell everybody about it. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And my whole truth. Everything changed. Everything. In one moment. Their whole lives changed. And I said, here's the problem. This is already the reality. Jesus already has given you the message. He's already given you the truth. He's already told you to go. The question is, is do you believe it? That's what it is. Do you believe it? Do we hold this in our hearts? Because I'll tell you, if we believe this, if we believe the gospel, it's not just some polite exchange. 
I feel like a lot of times in culture, see, here's the thing. We're on an island of 700 people. There's 50 in this church. And guess what? They ain't got nowhere to go. They can't get away from you. They got to catch a ferry, and that thing don't run but twice a day. Right? They, where are they going to go? There's no reason. I, I heard it said earlier this week, I wish the entire island would be Christian. I heard that this week. Somebody said, could you imagine if the entire island would be Christian? I said, could you imagine if the entire island would be Christian? Are we willing to go out there and tell people? Are we willing to go out there? I'm not asking you to have a theological degree. I'm not asking you to have some kind of rendition. But what did Christ do for you? That's the gospel. Jesus died for my sins. That's how I tell it to the youth. Jesus died for my sins. The whole gospel is in there. You could pick that apart theologically all day long and he'll tell you the truth every time. Jesus died for my sins. And you can show people by a transformed life exactly who Christ is and tell people. And we can have the whole island hear the gospel. I don't know if they're all going to come to Christ. I can't guarantee that. God will do what he wills. Are we willing to go forward and proclaim? Are we willing to live this out? We have faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this. I thank you for your message. Lord, give us faith. Give us faith. Help us to meditate on your gospel. Help us to take this out. Help us to take this to our friends and neighbors, what you did for us. Father, give us the strength. Give us the words. In your son's name, amen. God bless you this day.